Hi, and welcome to the NSGU podcast, Union Matters. My name's Mary, and I'm going to be your host for today. Today, I have with me Bill Swan, who is the founder of Faces of Pharmacare. Hi, Bill. Hi there, Mary. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Any opportunity to talk about what I've been doing and the importance of patients in in the equation of healthcare. Um, just to give you a bit of background, I, uh, I have a master's in health administration, uh, never having a, a intended to work in a hospital, um, but uh, felt it fit what I was doing and allowed me to do some research. Um, then I moved from research. I did 25 years of running uh, Association for Health Economists around the world. And uh, when the founder um, stepped down, let's just say that myself and the new board didn't see eye to eye. I can't imagine <laughs> that at all, Bill. No, no. So I stepped back and I just said, uh, you know, I, I, this is not important. It's not something I need to be doing. Um, so I took a couple of months after stepping back and feeling quite smug. And at the same time, I noticed that the pharmacare debate was starting again mm -hmm. uh, for the umpteenth time. Uh, and, and let me be clear, I actually worked on some of the research on the National Forum on Health, which was the second or third last time that we tried. Um, and what, when I looked at it, I realized that there really wasn't a patient voice. There really wasn't an understanding of what is the impact of the, the kind of non-system we have for drug access. Um, so I, I bought the name, I started collecting stories and uh, posting them. Um, I had to take the summer off because of a health issue, but I'm back at it now. Mm -hmm. uh, and what I do um, basically is, is I, I sit down with the person um, or I phone them and I write out their story. Then I send it to them because it's their story and I don't want to misrepresent them. Um, they make any edits they want. They send it back to me. Um, they can be anonymous if they want. Uh, I actually have one person on my, my page that's anonymous, and I asked her why, and she, you know, not to get her to be not anonymous, but I wanted to know the reason. She was embarrassed that mm -hmm. they had lost coverage. Her husband had lost his job, and so she felt embarrassed about that. So I, I, I understood that, and that's why it stayed up there. Um, and then after I've done the letters and posted it and let everybody know about all of this, the second step is that I, um, I write a letter for that person to go to their MP. Mm -hmm. um, I have them look through it, I have them sign it, and then we I send it to the, the MP for them. And then I, I copy that to every other MP that's ever received a letter from me, which is getting pretty close to all of them, uh, plus their representatives at the provincial and municipal level, uh, if I can. Uh, and then I go on to the next story. Uh, now, I have some stories that have just sat for a long time mm -hmm. that I'm not able to tell yet because they're going through such hell. Um, I, I'll, I'll give you a quick example. Um, Hunter is this little guy that uh, went to school or still goes to school with my daughter. Mm -hmm. Two years ago, he went in because his knee was sore, found out that he had stage four neoblastoma. Um, his father's a serial entrepreneur. Okay, and so that means probably because he's, unlike most of our members, we have yeah. are very lucky in that we have 
some, some sort of drug coverage, yep. and it's something that's negotiated. But if you work for yourself, you yep. are pretty much you're, you're, you're on, you're your, on own. your own. And and he had a double whammy as well because his daughter was very sick as a child. Mm-hmm. So even if they went to the private uh, and the private way, they would basically be told, well, yeah, we'll cover everything except the stuff you need. Uh, so, you know, they do a lot of this uh, exclusion uh, in the private level. So, you know, that that's the sort of story that you can imagine. You know, they started a GoFundMe campaign for $250,000, most of that for drug money. Um, so those are the sorts of things that you're dealing with and you're trying to help and it can be heartbreaking at times to listen to some of the stories. On the other hand, um, when you see people suddenly feeling like they have a voice, like they've contributed, um, it's really it's really nice to see because if you're sick enough to need ongoing drug treatment, you're busy. <laughs> It's exhausting being sick, oh. and it's exhausting trying to take care of somebody who's sick. Oh, absolutely. And to try to negotiate, just to try to figure it all out. And especially, you know, I mean, and that's, I think, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on here, because you're such a patient advocate. And also yep. just, I think people... You know, there's a talk about we need for we have this need for universal pharmacare. There is some type of pharmacare out there for people who are low income or seniors, but it's trying to figure out what that is, is really, really complicated and convoluted. And trying to get that coverage is crazy. Yeah. So that's why I know I've looked at your fit your website and was reading the stories and just going okay yeah. i'm sure our members are going through this themselves or seeing people going through well, it and, and it's starting to happen even in the group plans where um there'll be a change from a five dollar copay to a 20 percent copay um and that may not may not seem like much for a lot of people but when you're talking about some of the new biologics Ooh, 20%'s a, a, a big bite. Uh, I was on a biologic for uh, three injections. Um, luckily, it almost killed me, so I had to stop it. But every month when I w- had my injection, uh, it was $400 out of my pocket, not covered at all. And what we're seeing, uh, Marc-Andre uh, Gagnon put out a really nice paper that talked about how private insurance is trying to push the cost of all of these high-cost drugs onto the public systems. Um, and, uh, you know, they want nothing to do with it. They just want the cream. Um, so so in terms of patient advocacy, it, it really is about getting people to understand what's really happening out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, I, I can't remember who I commented to today because I, I, once again, I was like, oh, geez, I'm almost out of a drug. I mean, I'm a severe asthmatic. I have comorbidities with anxiety and things like that, high blood pressure. And, you know, it's every day I'm looking and going, oh my God, how can I be out of that already? You know, that's that's the sort of thing that's going on all the time. Um, and it's super stressful to oh. have to try to deal with that. I mean, to, you know, go, okay, how am I going to afford my drugs? Can mm-hmm. and, and Nova Scotia, you know, we have, you know, and I, and I think we're thinking, okay, well, you know, we have a serious poverty problem. I think there was yep. an article earlier in the week about Halifax, munici- you know, the Halifax municipality that we have the highest rate of poverty in the country, I think. Yeah. And yeah. it's the amount of people who are living in food insecurity. So if you have the added cost of drugs, you know, 
are you going to take your drugs or are you going to eat? And yeah. it's just, and I, you know, these stories, it's, and how do you take care of yourself and get better when you're stressed about it? And, you know, you're, the pharmacare that we do have is supposed to help take care of these people, but to try to actually go through the process, yeah. I know with my grandmother trying to figure it out, yeah. oh my God. Well, I mean, what we have, if you really think about it, is that our pharmacare system is a microcosm of the whole U.S. system. If you're uh, working, mm-hmm. poor, or elderly, you're covered. Now, they talk, uh, I believe it was the Conference Board of Canada, a uh, supposedly um, a nonpartisan group, <laughs> did what they called a study, which was really a survey. And they said, you know, there are programs available to 97% of the population. Uh, but when you look at that, uh, I don't know if anybody's ever tried or looked at applying for family pharmacare here in Nova Scotia. But even with not working for the last two years, I make too much money to apply. <laughs> so, so you know, it, it's, it, it looks nice on paper, but it, it doesn't really exist. Um, and it, it, the hoops are so difficult. So one of the stories that I have um, on mine, uh, Carrie uh, from um, Winnipeg, mm-hmm. right now she has gotten to the point where she's going to run out of her parents' coverage. Um, and she got put on a new drug for her asthma. She's got asthma and ADHD. Um, The problem is that the drug is actually a COPD drug and the plan won't cover it if your indication is asthma and not COPD. The problem being that asthma is really a subset of COPD. And if you have severe asthma, you have COPD because COPD is damage. Yeah, and <laughs> it baffles the mind. It's it, it, it's so convoluted and absolutely. Yeah, it's well. It, it, and the problem is that the narratives out there, people swallow them hook, line, and, line, and sinker. Um, I had uh, somebody who was at one of these conferences from the Conference Board of Canada as a patient rep, and she came back very much in favor of the, oh, we'll just fix the, the holes in the system, and, and we have to have user fees to stop uh, abuse. And and I'm, I'm just about going out of my mind reading this email because, you know, I, I can't reach this person directly because there is absolutely no research that says that it's it's about abuse. No, and, and in fact, those small fees actually put a barrier in place because sometimes $2, $5, that e- actually... Even a dollar. It's a barrier yep. to keep... You know, if you... A very small amount of money will stop people from actually filling that That's prescription. Right. That's right. And it's, it's ridiculous. It doesn't save anybody but the drug... You know the sorry the the insurance. benefits yep. insurance plan yep. money it's it's a way for them to make money it's it well, really it's, is it's it's trying to understand you see the the, the user fee debate actually um, started in the states yeah um, and they the the insurance industry in the seventies was using them to reduce costs increase their their profit yeah um, and then a study came out by a guy named Joe Newhouse who still hasn't uh, uh, forgiven me for spilling uh, wine on his shoes, but that's okay. (laughs) Um, And they did a study on the effect of user fees for doctor's visits. Mm -hmm. 
And the insurance groups sort of said, hey, look, we can not only do this, we can blame it on abuse because there was some suggestion that people might overuse it. The problem is the wrong people stopped using or going to the doctor. And this is the basis for all the user fees we see. So we're, we're, we're relying on research that looked at visits to doctors and applying it to prescriptions that we have to go to the doctor to see, and it's free, and... It doesn't make any sense. Uh, I've written something called uh, Eight Make That Nine Reasons That uh, User Fees for Drugs Are Stupid. Um, <laughs> it's a good but, title, I like. You know, you have to think about it this way. Now, now there is a caveat. You know, if you look at opioids, there's a reason that people take those even if they don't need them. Yeah, well, you know, well, that requires yeah. something else. And and even uh, antibiotics. You have to be a little bit careful um, because you don't want people taking them just because they have a cold. But I don't know of anyone who wants to take an asthma drug for fun. Um, if, you know, a lot more people would have, to have asthma if there were psychotropic effects. Yeah, or, you know, <laughs> if you're a diabetic. That's right. <laughs> you know, insulin, you're not taking yeah. insulin for fun. No. You're doing it to save your, you know, keep yourself alive. And the number of people who, you know, the number of amputations or the yep. number of people who die every year, yeah. you know, it's it's been proven oh. that, and I the amount of people I know who don't, you know, are non-unionized, who don't have a benefit plan, who, you know, who will try to stretch their drugs out, yep. drugs that really, they're not effective if you're not taking them every day, or That's right. they just stop taking their antidepressant because they can't afford to fill it for two weeks, and so they're getting the brains ups, and oh, they're, yeah. and, you know, because these are drugs that you really, you can't just go cold turkey right. off you of. Can't. And well, it, yeah, I mean, if you look at uh, at asthma, it, 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 there's it, it's seen a lot that you know I am feeling fine, I can stop taking it. But asthma treatment is a combination of of beta agonists and you know which which um, relax the lung muscles and corticosteroids that um, basically reduce the swelling of the mucous membrane. Well, if you if you're taking your drugs and you feel good and you want to eat. And you only have a certain amount of money, as you said, what are you going to choose? You're feeling fine. And then you go through a cycle of collapse because the problem with, uh, with stopping cold turkey with asthma meds is that your body slows down its own production of corticosteroid. So if you stop it, all of a sudden it's like, oh, hey, does anybody remember how to turn the plant on? And, and you're stuck. So, you know, there is that necessity to treat to, for people to understand. And with, with diabetes, I mean, I have uh, one of the stories on there. Um, this kid is, uh, you know, he's going to age out soon. And his, his mom and his dad uh, work their butts off at low-paying jobs. And, you know, she works at one, so she has coverage. But it still only covers 80%. And, you know, here's a drug that was, it's a, well, a biologic. But we're still paying through the nose because it got into the pharmacare or the, the pharmaceutical system mm -hmm. and suddenly it costs a fortune. Um, but that wasn't what it was meant to do. Banting originally said, Oh no, I, this should be available. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it really, it's, I, you know, it, I really, we really do need, and I know I've 
on a previous podcast talked to somebody from the Canadian Health Coalition and we were talking about how we truly do need a you know, a fully funded, full meal deal, national pharmacare system right. and how many people's lives it'll save. And just it's, it, it really is essential. And I think these stories need to get out there. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think one of the, one of the things that I'm trying to, to um, redirect is, is to talk about the fact that it will save, save lives. It's not just about the money. It's really about the lives first. Now, when I did an assessment, uh, I, I kind of uh, tongue in cheek said, based on research from the States that, that uh, over 50 years, we've killed Kitchener uh, by not having a national plan. Yeah, uh, because it, you know, Medicare just celebrated its 50th birthday, I think, yeah. yesterday. Yep. And yeah, that's crazy to think of. You killed, you know, that's yep. how many people in the past 50 years have died because we don't have a national pharmacare. Because they didn't have access to something yeah. that would keep them out of the hospital, uh, which is ultimately what you want to do. Um, and I think this is part of the reason I, I sort of started Faces of Pharmacare because it was always the policymakers and the academics and and the drug companies, the insurance companies, and nobody in the, in there going, um, excuse me, but um, I'd like to live if you don't mind. Um, and actually getting involved in the patient engagement movement started a while ago for me because I'm I'm a tad outspoken, as as, as you know, Mary. <laughs> I've, no, I've noticed. So yes. Bill and I actually we sit together on the uh, board of the Nova Scotia Health Coalition, yes. where yeah. it was just how we've gotten to know each other. And he's definitely a very outspoken, fierce healthcare advocate and patient yeah. advocate. Patient advocate, because I believe that there is so much untapped potential in the knowledge of of patients and and what i mean you know there's different ways of looking at patients um i'm not talking about the person who broke their nose in a bar fight and and is in the er i'm talking about the diabetics and the asthmatics and the people that whether they're in the hospital or not they're using the healthcare system every day because they're taking their meds um you know those sorts of people um have so many ideas of how to improve the system. Uh, the fir very first one I went to, I was shocked at the number of things that people would say, well, you know, it would just work easier if you did this. And, and mm -hmm. most of these solutions are, are not high-cost solutions. They're common-sense solutions. Yeah, and they're probably things that a lot of our members who work in healthcare see every day. And That's right. I, I know that a lot of, I know that I, you know, want to be a better advocate for both myself as a patient, but also for my loved ones. And I'm sure that's something that our members want as well, whether, you know, whether you work in healthcare or not, you're interacting with the system, which is pretty broken. Yep. We are absolutely in crisis. So do you have any advice on how we can be better patient advocates for ourselves and our families? Oh, gosh. I mean, it really does come down to understanding how to use the Internet. I mean, a lot of people complain about Dr. Google. On the other hand, there is there are some good pieces of research out there. Uh, so the first thing I'd say is is learn how to differentiate between bad and good research. Um, Which so, is hard sometimes because well, it's, 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 it is hard. Uh, a lot of people go to PubMed not realizing that PubMed is actually a much broader uh, selection than Medline. So if you want, 
really the the good research mm-hmm. you would look at the medline so you just put a medline filter on pubmed and you're getting you're not getting the the wonky stuff um, the unfortunate thing is that the uh, sort of the gold standard for for health information the Cochrane collaboration which is now just called Cochrane um, is going through a crisis right now um, and uh, so you know what what do you as a patient rely on uh, so sometimes it just has to be a little bit of information sometimes it's a little bit of gut uh, but I think it's important that we you know we get people to really look critically at things and accept sometimes that well you know you got asthma you're gonna have to deal with that uh, and this is how you do it um, but I, I I think there's also, other things that we could do, and that's that's starting the discussion of the the patient being involved in a lot of different ways. Um, the uh, health research uh, um, uh, institutes in Canada they started a thing called SPORE, which is a strategy for patient oriented research. I probably was one of the few people to actually read the whole document and get really excited. Um, <laughs> well, research health research is kind of your jam, isn't well, it? Well, yeah, <laughs> but patient involvement. Yeah. Now that has morphed into something that involves patients in research, and and that's good in a way because it 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 gets maybe a different outcome in the research, you know, so that a patient might say, you know, I'd really like my hands to stop tingling. I don't care about these things. This, this is what's really affecting me. Mm -hmm. And I think that's great, but they've kind of stopped short um, because, uh, you know, I've seen the, well, the last three times I've been involved, the last two times in the ER and the last time this summer with the health system beyond my asthma were pure disasters. Yeah. And I can point very easily to simple things that could be done. Um, and so I feel that what we really need is a patient ombudsperson yeah. um, who has the resources um, to to be able to help people understand what's going on as a patient, uh, to 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 um, train them so that they can sit on boards. Mm-hmm. You know, I sat on the Capital District Health Authority board before it was shut down. Um, I I breathed a high sigh of relief when that happened because it's a hard job. Yeah, um, but. There's not many patients that could just pick that up and do that. No. But it, learning those skills, I don't think, is impossible. So, you know, I, I, just, I just think that if, um, if you're going to have a learning health system, and that's the de rigueur, uh way of calling health reform now, um, I was called up about uh, this on a, a short-term uh, um, research they're doing out of McMaster. And I said, if you're going to... Um, if you're going to really have a learning health system, you, you, the, the patients have to be the start of things. Mm-hmm. You have to take the patients. Because into- otherwise you're just going to fiddle with what you have. I mean, in the past, doctors were the patient advocate. Well, that's not really true for a variety of reasons, notwithstanding the research shows that they have an interest in getting you out of the office, for example, and they only have so much time. So it, I think we really need to say, do we need real advocacy? Now, the problem is um, 
we did have funding for advocacy groups, and uh, Sharon Batt, who's also on, on the board of the, the coalition, uh, she wrote a book called Health Advocacy, Inc., and she details how they went from having government funding to help women with breast cancer to losing that funding to the, the drug companies coming in and happily filling the void and the mm-hmm. whole timber of the discussion changing. It does change when the drug companies are the ones who are paying the money. And yeah, so, you know, it is a hard thing, too. I think even just trying to be an advocate for yourself, even just how sometimes it's hard to know that you can actually ask those questions to the doctor when you go to the doctor or sometimes you feel shut down yep. like your opinion doesn't or I know I've experienced times where I'm I'm very lucky actually in that I have a really good family doctor oh, yeah. who unfortunately is retiring in March so I don't know what I'm going to do after March but I'm very lucky that he knows my health history. He actually has been my doctor from the time I was an infant. And I do have, I've had chronic health issues my whole life. And to be able to go to him and he knows that history and he actually listens to me and respects it. I know that where I've gone to other doctors and they just shut me down. And and it's really hard sometimes, isn't it, to actually stand up to the doctor and say, no, this is my history. I know my history. This is what's happening. It's happened before. And to have those difficult conversations. Well, for most people, yes. No, I'll I'll be honest. (laughs) For for me, no. But I learned that from my mother um, who once um, uh, decked a doctor for for suggesting that I wasn't having an attack. Uh, the funny part was, like, I'm I'm not a wheezer, and and my O2 two stats don't change, but I still have attacks. And this gentleman came in and said, oh, he's not wheezing, not having an attack. My mother punched him in the gut so hard he was doubled over. And Dr. Gillespie, who was the 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 resident at the time, came around the corner and said, "Oh, I see you've met Mrs. Swan." <laughs> <laughs> so, but you're not recommending. Our no, 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 no. Don't, don't necessarily <laughs> don't, punch. Don't be like Bill's mom. No, but no. it was cool. Um, but, <laughs> but you have to think about it that way. I mean, it, it is uh, at the family physician level. They certainly have a lot of expertise. But as an asthmatic, I'm I'm the one going to my doctor saying I want to try this drug, and she's going, never heard, never heard of it. So you're you're the expert on Bill. Yeah, I'm and the how expert you, on Bill. And how your asthma Yeah, and, and there's a continuum, presents. though. I mean, there's there's people that, you know, they, they just barely use the system. Yeah. Or even if they use the system, they just don't really have the interest. They just want to be treated. And then there's crazy people like me and you. Well, I think there's also people who, I think it makes it really hard when you don't have a family doctor and you're trying to get answers and you're, you know, you're sick you're, or you're having... You know, you're having something's going on. You know, something's going on. You know, you should go and get it checked out, but you don't have a family doctor. So, where do you get those referrals? So, do you have to go to the emergency room where you're going to have to sit for six hours to get seen and maybe go, well, you're wasting our time. You should go into a walking clinic or, you know, and it's it's so frustrating. Well, if you um, remember over the summer, there was a letter in the in the Chronicle. yeah, a guy in the valley, I believe it was. Uh, I, I can't remember where it was. He's undergoing cancer treatment. It doesn't have a family physician. And every single time something goes on, he has to go to the ER and sit and wait in a room with sick people with immuno, uh, immunocompromised system. Whereas, and here's here's the irony, the valley health system 
which is where he was, I think, uh, um, they used to have this little program where if you came into the ER and you needed to be follow up, followed up, you were, you were assigned to Dr. Mm-hmm. Bob. Uh, what I find ironic is that that's no longer part of the system. And the same person who ran the Valley uh, Health Authority is now running the Nova Scotia Health Authority. But there's a complete disconnect between what's really happening with patients and what is what is really, you know, what they hear. And I saw that as a member of the board, the Capital District Health Authority. What we were fed at the board level was cleaned so many times it was valueless yet i two times went to the er and they were disasters mm-hmm. never heard about it just it it boggles my mind and and this is supposedly the background i have and and i think part of it is that we're still grounded in a 1960s system we're still trying to hold on to those administration jobs as health administrators um, where we should be thinking carefully about what we're doing now backing up even further part of our problem is our data systems suck yeah you can't you can't. I think there was actually an article in one of the either you know basically criticizing yeah the the, the, IT. Uh, the the yeah that report came out from uh, the auditor general yesterday and that's what he, he he pointed at and here we are this is the same people that have no control of what's going on and they're in charge of of tendering for the one person one health record and they're talking half a billion dollars and in a in a society where you don't have to pay for Oracle anymore. Open source software is actually more secure than Oracle. So I think a lot of our members who work in healthcare sort of, you know, they're on the ground, they're on the, you know, front lines of this and they they see these issues and they want to be, you know, they they see how the system could work better and oh, yeah. I hear them talking about it going I don't understand you know, why this isn't changing. And I guess one of the things I wanted to ask too is because I know our members really who, you know, are in healthcare or dealing with, you know, patients, clients, they want to be advocates for yep. their patients yeah. and clients. They, they take these, you know, they hear stories like that, that you put up on Faces of Pharmacare. They see these every day and I know they take it home with them. I think, do you have any advice for them on how they can be better you know, advocates for those patients or well, how do um, they keep going when well, sometimes I, I, I it mean, just, it, it's, it's I don't know sometimes. Them. I mean, I, I, you know, the, the one, uh, the true heroes to me in the healthcare system have always been the nurses. Um, you know, I see, I can remember taking my mom in and the nurse just looking, going, saying, oh, she's, uh, doesn't have enough O2. You know, and and it just knew right away what to do. Um, and my, any of my times in the hospital, it's always been the nurses that I've relied on for more useful information. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, to be an advocate for someone when you're in the system, and I think part of it is that you're in the system that is still doctor centric, mm-hmm. um, and you can see that if you go over to the VG site now. Oh, there's well, definitely a hierarchy oh, of between oh, yeah. the you know and. Well, if you remember when the CDHA was going, um, there were signs everywhere that said patients first. Mm-hmm. Well, the new signs that are up, ironically, I have a picture of one over one of the un- unusable water fountains. <laughs> um, talk about the caregivers. 
nothing about patience. And, and I, I understand where they're coming from, but they're also getting directives that they need to refer to patients as clients. And, and that's just another way of kind of separating yourself from, from the sick, uh, from the people that need help. Um, what they can do, I think if they just keep in mind, just look for that information coming from patients. There are a few of us out there that do right. And we do try to say, hey, hold it a second. This is how it really affects us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there, there may be a way. It may be some, some of them may be sitting on one of the boards. Um, the problem that I see now is that with the Nova Scotia Health Authority, I don't think there's any, I, 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 I don't know how to get to them. I don't, you know. uh, and I think some of our, mem- our members are feeling the same way. Yeah, yeah. And, and I understand um, the, the, the situation. You know, they're trying to meld seven groups into one. I, you know, I don't know why we need even a th- authority sometimes when we have a health department and we have less than a million people. But that's another discussion. Um but I don't, you know, when, when you decide to, to fix the dike, you don't bring everybody in for a meeting and pull all of the fingers out of the dike yeah. to have a team meeting. Mm-hmm. You still have to have the fingers in the dike. And I'll give you a really good example. Um, I mentioned uh, earlier that I had to take some time off from Faces of Pharmacare. Um, and I had uh, gone through a deprescribing. I was feeling great. June running. Uh, end of June, I ran a half a marathon. Okay, I finished a half marathon. Let's not say run. Um, it's a big accomplishment. Uh, look, I have 60% lung function. You know, I'm, I'm happy with that. Three days later, I had a CT that had been scheduled for a while. I just coughed up a bit of blood in March. You know, pretty normal stuff, but just in case we'd have the CT. So I had the CT, went on with my day. Hour and a half later, the doctor calls, says, come in tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I got there the next day and she said, this is not good news, Bill, and I'm shocked. You have a speculated lesion in your lung. And uh, if you know the term, speculated uh, makes all doctors' sphincters go weep really fast it's a scary scary word and typically 90 percent of speculated lesions are malignant i was devastated i spent the summer it wrecked my summer well as you can imagine because you're basically being told you have probably probably yeah very serious lung cancer that's right and i didn't get a follow-up with the surgeon until the end of the summer but what was galling is that the doctor, the surgeon, looked at the same CT within two or three days, disagreed with the radiologist, but that's where the information stopped. And that's, yes. And I would have had a much different summer. This is, this is when I talk about the solutions that are out there, you could have sent a frickin' email yeah. to the doctor, and I would have had a good summer. So it says breakdown in communication. It's a breakdown in communication. It's yes, taking all the fingers out of the dike and just trying to, you know, start the new system and forgetting that, okay, look, I understand most of the time you're seeing people that are really sick. 
But I went through a depression. I went through severe anxiety. I had to go back on medication that I had successfully weaned myself off of so that I could function. It would take me hours someday to be to create a bill. Now, I'm doing better. Mm-hmm. You know, hey, great, I don't have lung cancer. But I want to create a system where that doesn't happen to anybody anymore. And that's why... You start with the patient. Yeah, and it's why it's important to have that communication yeah. back and forth. And I don't think it's anything that we're gonna we're going to fix anytime in you Ooh, know the immediate future. I think I think the work that you know you're doing, that the Nova Scotia Health Coalition's doing, yeah. and that our members are doing day to day in the workplace, because I know they really they do care. The frontline staff, you know, they care Absolutely. and they're going to try to take care of their patients. You know, that's, yep. I think, the number one focus of pretty much anybody I talk to oh, is, is their patients and, you know, being good advocates and trying to fix a system that's broken from within. And it's it's really demoralizing and yes, hard sometimes. So it's good to, you know, oh, yeah. <laughs> sort of know that you've got the support. And Well, and, I, your, and I think it's growing. Yeah. Um, you know, there, there are a lot of... Uh, there's a lot of patient engagement going on. A lot of it's co-opted, but there is this growing kind of really vocal group that's saying, wait a minute, you, you no, you're not really representing me. Mm-hmm. You want to sell more drugs or you want to sell more of these or more of that. And I'm starting to see uh, the ability to pull together. So I belong to a couple of co-ops, one in Canada, one in the U.S., who are actually, they're run by... Uh, patients. Yeah. Now, I don't quite agree with the way that they're doing some things, and it's not how I would do it, but it's not my thing, but I'm still going to join it. Yeah. And so maybe that's one of the things that I, I think so. I think obviously getting out there and actually getting involved in these yeah. groups and having your voice heard is really important. That's why, I mean, that's one of the reasons that I, you know, showed up to the yeah. Nova Scotia Health Coalition AGM. We actually, you know, that's actually coming yeah. up in January and I ran for the board because I I feel like, you know, healthcare is such an important issue. Oh, and I really feel like it's important that, people get out there and fight for health care because it's something that we're so proud of. And yeah. I think it's something that could be, you know, magnificent and it's something to be proud of, but you know, we need to fix it and we need to step up and do that. That's right. Yeah. And the first step of that really is pharmacare because yeah. the money that we need to fix the rest of the system comes from the savings that we'll get from pharmacare. Um, and, and one of the things I should point out is for the faces of pharmacare and uh, of value to the members, um, it, you don't have to be a patient to tell a story. No. Tim, who's on the board, <laughs> is a doctor. And <laughs> yeah. I have his story up there because of what he sees. Um, so people are, you know, contact me. If you, have, if you want to tell your story or if you know that there's someone whose story should be told, uh, talk to me. I mean, I'm always open to that. And I, I love talking to people about um, getting the right narrative, really understanding. Because remember, you know, we treat doctors and hospitals as a right, but we treat drugs like a privilege. Mm-hmm. And it basically, if you take that to the very end, if it's a privilege, you have to, you have to say, okay, I'm comfortable with people dying. Yeah. 
And, and I don't think Canadians really are. I just think that they're so used to the system that they don't understand how broken it is. No. So, all right. So if, so it's faces of pharmacare. Faces of pharmacare.ca. Yeah. Perfect. Pretty easy and, to find. And so if somebody, ha- if one of our members, somebody who's listening has a story that they'd like to share, they can just email you through that. That's right. And I'll, I'll reach out and we'll have a chat. Okay. And you're also on Twitter as faces of pharmacare at as well. Fa- at pharmacare faces because faces of pharmacare was just one letter too long <laughs> and uh, on Facebook and uh, LinkedIn as well. Okay, perfect. So yeah, no, I highly encourage people to contact Bill and get those stories out there. And if you want to be anonymous, that's fine too. That's fine too. I think it's, you know, and I highly encourage you to, you know, get involved with healthcare activism. And I think you're, you know, you're quite an inspiration to me just in how you know, <laughs> much you fight for, you know, not just yourself, but you really are a fierce patient advocate. And I really admire the, you know, the drive that you have to make things better for not just, you know, yourself, but for yeah. people right across the country. And I, I really enjoyed reading those stories. And I hope that our members, you know, okay. take a look at it and yeah. get involved. And well, thank you for the kind words. I mean, you know, just for those in the audience, they say, so you know, I am blushing, so, and I don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. And uh, yeah, I really enjoyed talking to you. And uh, Anytime. And I've got some other projects in the pipeline, so maybe I'll be back. <laughs> well, it's always good to talk to you. And uh, I, I do hope our members get out and, you know, get involved with healthcare activism. And I, I already know that most of them are fierce, yep. you know, the ones who work in healthcare are fierce advocates for their patients and clients. So I think it's just good to know that, you know, we recognize, you know, people recognize that you're doing that. Yep. And, yep. you know, our members are, and if you know, you're not alone in trying to do this advocacy. And I think that's, that's the thing. Sometimes you feel like you're, you're fighting for your patients and your clients and you feel like you're in it alone. So it's good to that's know right. that there are people out there who can, you know, you can contact, just even have somebody go, okay, well, if you tried to do this or if you tried mm-hmm. to do that, just to bounce ideas off yeah. of. So. Yeah. And I've, been known to to help out people just in that guys just to say you know here's some ways that you can work with your doctor yeah no that's awesome all right well thank you so much and i hope everybody's enjoyed listening to this conversation as much as i've enjoyed having it and uh Thank you very much. All right. And be sure to tune in next week. This is a weekly podcast. And if you have any ideas of who we should talk to next, make sure you get in touch with the communication stuff or comment on the Facebook site. And for those who are hearing impaired, just to let you know, there will be transcripts up on the MSGU website as well. Thanks again for listening and we'll talk to you again soon. Bye.